Today's teaching text comes from Psalm 37, verse 1 to 7. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, uh, it is so good to be with you. It has been uh, an incredible summer of messages so far in this series, uh, The Language of Prayer. Um, David and Tyler and Patrick hitting, uh, conversing with God and interceding for change in our world and, and how we pray the scriptures and uh, Lauren Liu sharing with us such a powerful word about, about praying when we have no words and how we pray in our grief and Jackie, last week, uh, such an incredible call to, to stand in the armor of God and in the victory of Christ in the midst of very real spiritual conflict in our world. I, uh, I just really, really encourage you, if you've missed any of these messages along the way in the summer, to go back and catch up and just see what God is speaking to us as a people, what He's saying to our church, uh, what He's saying uh, by the Spirit to you. Uh, also, just want to mention, and I know Armstead uh, hit this just a minute ago, but uh, we sent out this really short survey this week, and uh, we, we want to hear from you and know where everyone is. Um, yeah, our lives have been so shaken up over the, over the last few months. Um, we haven't been able to meet together. Our world is experiencing so much, so much change. Um, uh, a, a phrase that's been in my mind uh, uh, around this is it's, it's difficult right now to perceive the body, to sense who we are as a church family. And, um, and, and that connection is so important. Many of you may have felt uh, cut off or alone or, or, or frustrated. And um, this survey is, 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 is one attempt to try to address that. We want to hear from you, hear where you're at. We know many of you are dealing with wildly different life circumstances than you were just a few months ago, and we, we want to know where you are. So um, we know we have church family who are tuning in right here in Brooklyn. We know we have some tuning in from, from other places uh, uh, around the country and the world. And so we want to know where you are. We, we want to know how to love you well, how we can love one another well, how we can pray for you, how we can plan uh, for the next seasons in the life of our church. So I really encourage you, if you haven't already, please take this uh, short survey like Armstead said, six questions and you're done. Um, we have such a longing for when we can be back together, and uh, this is going to help us in that direction. Uh, another sort of pastoral word that's on my heart is I really want to encourage you, even as uh, this is, uh, you know, we're in this different, difficult, challenging time, all the words we, we circle around about it, but uh, I want to encourage you to fight, keep fighting for meaningful connection uh, in, in these days. Jackie spoke to us last week about uh, the, the reality of the spiritual warfare that we, that we find ourselves in and that we, we need to be aware of. And 
I found a massive tactic of the enemy uh, is to try and isolate us, to try to make us feel like we're alone, like we're the only ones experiencing this type of trouble or, or this type of, of feeling or this type of thoughts racing through our, our minds, like we're the only ones experiencing life in a certain way. That, that isolation is a tactic of the enemy um, to, to, to break us down. And so whether it's on Zoom or socially distanced walks, or I have found such richness in um, the group that I've been meeting with on Zoom after, after these, uh, our shared broadcast together, we're, we're sharing our hearts, we're praying for one another. I feel like I've, I've gotten to know the, uh, the folks in that group so well. Um, and I just really encourage you in any way that you safely can to fight for these meaningful connections uh, in your life. And do, do not allow yourself uh, to, to just isolate. Um, the, st- the statistics are staggering um, that many people have lost their connection with the church during this, during this pandemic. And uh, I just want to remind you from the depths of my heart, from uh, our own shared experience, that this is not a solo journey. We are uh, relational beings created by a relational God. We are made for, for deep, meaningful relationship. We are made for love. Uh, we are taught to pray by Jesus, our Father, our Father who art in heaven. This is not a solo journey. Um, it is a shared thing. So let's not for, forsake, let's not forsake meeting together in these days. Okay, uh, I, I want to really speak to you this morning um, from, from my heart, uh, from my experience, uh, and I want to start from this pretty short and direct verse um, that I've heard my whole life uh, growing up in, in the church, and it's right there in the middle of those verses that were our teaching text in Psalm 37. I, I wanted the other verses to be read so you get a sense of the poem and the, and the prayer that's going on around this particular verse, but, but the verse I want to focus on, many of you will have heard this. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. The way I first heard it in another translation was, uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I remember as a kid thinking when I first heard that, that if I can figure out whatever that is, whatever the first part is, whatever it means to delight in God, uh, then I can get the desires of my heart. And that was definitely my my main focus. To me, clearly, the most important part of that verse was the desires of my heart. But uh, I will say in in a very real way, over the last 20 years, um, experimenting with, learning, pushing into what it means to delight in God has been one of the most meaningful, profound, deep, life-giving things uh, of my life. It really has proven to be true, um, this this, this little verse. And so... I, I, I can say learning to delight in God, and I say that in contrast to trying to draw abundant life merely from the natural resources of this world or from self or selfishness. Um, it's a great challenge in that, absolutely, uh, but it is also an incredible place of joy in my life. And I want to see if I can speak uh, really practically about it because I think it's such an important part of our prayer life. Um, if you don't pray, uh, chances are... Uh, you find prayer on some level boring or meaningless or not effective or, or something very far away from a, a delight. And I want to talk in a really practical way about um, how we can delight in God and delight 
in prayer. Uh, we've, we've had some really beautiful and challenging words, as I, as I mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago in this series, how to pray in groans and sighs and tears, how to p- pray in the midst of uh, spiritual conflict and spiritual warfare, how to pray uh, to, to intercede uh, for change we're longing for in the world. In, in the world. Tyler wearing uh, a path around his middle school, asking for God to, to break in and, and change lives and such powerful things. Um, and and uh, and, and yet I, I think this is an important addition to, to the words we've heard along the way, that, that God is after our hearts, our affections, our delight. Last week, Jackie so succinctly uh, walked us through many of the words that God has spoken to our church prophetically over, over our first decade. And um, I think we need to hear those words. We need to hear them repeated. Um, Paul tells Timothy in the New Testament to use the prophetic words that were spoken over his life to fight in times of uncertainty, in times times of doubt and times of despair and times where you want to give up. Hold on to these words that have been spoken over you and let them give your heart courage to fight. And as a shared journey, as a church family, we have to use the prophetic words God has spoken over us that Jackie reminded us us of last week to fight. And and there's another one um, that that I want to call to your mind this morning, uh, and it's that we are acquainted with sorrow, but anointed with joy. In the same way Jesus was acquainted with sorrow and anointed with joy, we as his church, as the body of Christ, and specifically, I believe this is a prophetic word for Trinity Grace Park Slope, we are acquainted with sorrow. I don't have to convince you of that. Many of you know uh, exactly what what that's like to be acquainted with sorrow. 2020 has been a year where we have been acquainted with sorrow, but we are also anointed with joy. And I I, want to speak to that. Uh, this morning, and rather, actually, rather than giving a message on why delighting in God is important, though some of that's going to come through, I want to speak in the most practical ways that I've found for cultivating my own joy in God throughout my life. And uh, just so you know where we're going, uh, it's four things rest, uh, gratitude, worship, and service. So we're going to hit those so you can track where we are and know how much time we have left. Um, the first one, I think, is actually going to be the longest, though. So we're, we're launching off from this, uh, this verse in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So I want to take those four things in turn and how we actually do that. So the first one is, is, is rest. It's funny. Ma- many people have talked about this, the great pause of 2020 or um, the forced rest uh, that this year has, has, has put on us. But... In spite of that, many of us still feel that there's a lot of exhaustion going around. Many of you may be experiencing exhaustion. And and I think partly that's because um, change is so hard and so much change happening so fast is really, really difficult. It is exhausting. Um, part uh, is just uncertainty is tiring. When you don't know what school's going to be like, what work's going to be like, what your income's going to be like, what life is going to be like, um, you know, who, who our next national leader is going to be like, there's all this uncertainty and that can be exhausting. Uh, also journeys of growth and awareness, even ones that are good and necessary, the reckoning that's taking place uh, along racial lines in our country and, and, and the fighting for justice, those things are, are profound and important and they can also be tiring. Um, 
They, they require massive amounts of perseverance. So some of you may feel like I should somehow have more time for rest, um, but I'm more exhausted than ever. Or some of you are like, I know exactly what's going on. I'm, uh, I, I'm having to learn how to homeschool and do my job at my house and navigate the stress of all these changes and, and not knowing where, where, where to engage in our world. And it's wearing me out. And I understand why. And something that has been crucial in, in my life, and uh, maybe never more so than, than this immediate time right now, something that's been crucial in my life for delighting in God has been finding times to rest. And I, I specifically mean a certain type of rest. I don't just mean, you know, like checking out with entertainment or, or finding some way to in, indulge. Those, those certainly can be, part, you know, elements of our rest, but th- those are not the primary thing that I'm talking about here. I'm, talk, I'm speaking more to the scripture's uh, vision of Sabbath and uh, Sabbath in our week, one day that we set aside and say, I'm not going to do any work, and, but also Sabbath moments in our day where we enter the rest of God and we sort of... We we surrender and unburden ourselves um, to, to our Heavenly Father. I, I, I'll just share, this is totally normal, but as our family got away uh, for a little bit in July, I had a big reading list that I expected I was going to get through. And once again, I should learn from previous years, but once again, I did not get through anywhere near get through uh, my list. But something I did come across, uh, and it was actually a podcast that I could listen to while I was driving, was this detailed um, Bible study and discussion on Genesis 1. And it, it rekindled something in, in, in my heart around, uh, around rest and the, and the idea of Sabbath. And uh, first of all, I want to say we're going to have a series at some point in the, in, the, in the near future, in the years to come, a long series on Genesis 1. Um, there are so many layers in this uh, creation narrative that we, that we often miss because uh, we're, we're trying to get the text to answer different questions than it's trying to answer. And uh, the, yeah, there's just so many layers in there. But what I will say for right now is that the poetry, and it is a poem, the poem of Genesis 1, um, has a bunch of guides within it. If you, if you get into the Hebrew uh, of the text, um, the, that will act, the, the, the Hebrew will actually point you uh, into how to read, um, how to read the, the poem, and, and it will direct you uh, towards, um, towards its main points. And in, in a sense, the author has put road signs, and the technical term is the, the chiastic structure of the poem, these parallelisms that are uh, in the actual structure of how, how the poem is worded, and they point you towards what the main meaning of the poem is. It's like, uh, it's like there's buried treasure and there's road signs to it in the text. And, um, and a massive meaning. If I was to say to you, what do you think the main meaning of Genesis 1 is, or what's the main point the author's trying to get, get us to understand, there's a bunch of things that may, that may, that may come up about um, our origins and creation and how, how it all started. Uh, certainly the, por- the poem, the poem, um, the poem is telling us what kind of world we have. Um, it's introducing what kind of, of, of God we're working with here. Uh, what, what does it mean to be and to thrive as a human being? Uh, but right in the, in the heart of the poem, and, and there are road signs pointing towards it, you have rest, you have Sabbath. You have human beings experiencing their first day of creation as a day of rest. You have divine rest and divine joy. Now, why on earth, think about this, would God tell a story about creation, about the origins of our, of our existence, and make the main point Sabbath? 
And, and this was what dawned on me in a new way, is to remember this poem, it wasn't written first for us as like, you know, post-enlightenment, ra- rationalistic people trying to answer science questions about, about the origins of the universe. It's written to a people who are trying to make sense of, of life and who have been in slavery for 400 years. And their identity and their value had been attached to making bricks in the empire. Uh, in the empire of Egypt. So God comes along and he says, one of the crucial parts of reality I want you to know is that you aren't valuable for what you make. You aren't valuable for the brick count that you, that you produced at the end of the day, for what you accomplish and for all that you do. You are valuable because you are made in God's image because you are made with deep capacity for love relationship with Yahweh, for love relationship with one another. Um, Sabbath, what this poem points to, is how you delight in God, in your neighbor, and in this good world that he has made. Rest for a people who've been slaves under the lash for 400 years is, is, is a massively important way to cultivate joy, for us to thrive as human beings. And what, we're going to come back to, to this later, but this theme is woven through all of the scriptures. And then Jesus comes into the sa- as the savior of our, of our world, as Israel's Messiah, you know, hundreds of years later in the story. And it's so wild that he comes on this mission to, to redeem the world, and yet for 30 years of his life, he lives in obscurity, not in the public eye. And then when he finally does come on the scene with three years uh, of ministry, we find him drawing away really often taking naps like how many saviors of the world do we need to know about their sleeping patterns and yet we have Jesus resting sabbathing promising us rest as I said taking naps something about rest is crucial to what it is to be a human being in God's world and to surrender control and to receive the gift of our identity not being attached to what we produce Psalm 37 is, is, is one of those uh, psalms uh, where our teaching text came from that comes up a lot in the lectionary in the Book of Common Prayer. And I went back and just looked uh, over the last several years, and I had a bunch of journal entries about this particular psalm uh, because it comes up so often. And I'm not, I don't have the courage of Jackie to read to you from my journal uh, right now. But um, there are instructions in this psalm several times, do not fret. Do not fret. And that's not really language that I often use. I don't usually ever tell anyone not to fret. I, you know, uh, I, I think I understand the word. It's, it's in a close family relation to, to worry and to anxiety. It's certainly something different than resting. If we're, if we're fretting, we're probably not resting. Uh, fret, fretting t- to me is, is um, I came across this picture in, in a Ronald uh, Rollheiser book years ago where he talks about walking through the, this beautiful forest trail and being surrounded by the exquisite majesty of nature and yet totally missing the surroundings because you're replaying an argument in your head and you're thinking about what you should have said and, and you're burned up about what someone, you know, what someone said to you and what they could have meant and you're unpacking the layers and you're totally missing the surroundings uh, of beauty that are, that are right there because you're fretting. Um, fretting is, is like anxiety uh, laced with anger. Um, fretting is, uh, I think, something, it's like 
hitting the refresh button over and over again to get another update to see if this person has tuned in or paid attention. Uh, fretting is is spiraling in worry in, in a way that that in my life it spurs like a frenzy or like an absolute apathy because it's like oh, I can't do anything about that so I give up and I quit. Um, and to me, this idea of taking delight in God is, is, is such a counter to fretting. And there's so many opportunities in our world right now in 2022 fret to replay arguments, to replay uh, drama, to repeat statistics, to, to really just get overwhelmed with the difficulty, the pain, the brokenness of our world. And, and pushing that back and saying, nope, for this 24-hour period or for this moment in my day, I'm going to move into Sabbath. I'm going to move into rest. I'm going to move into surrender. I'm going to take this, scrape it out, and just lay it before God. I told you rest was going to be the longest. And so we're moving on to the second one now. Another crucial practice for me uh, that has cultivated delight in my life in God is, is gratitude. And I'll just say for me, and I, I, my suspicion is for many of you as well, that it is easy for me to pay lip service to God, but to actually let my life be led by my mood or by the specific circumstances that I am in the middle of. So I say God is, is, the, is the king, is the ruler of my life that I've surrendered, but often it's my mood or my circumstances which take the most dominant place in how my, my day goes. Um, I also think it's pretty wild that God would make so many direct commands on our emotions. How can God say, feel this way? And yet you look through the scriptures like rejoice in the Lord and, and delight in the Lord and even lament and weep and mourn and, and all the range. Like uh, there, there's, um, there's directives in the scripture about how we should feel. Uh, and, and so how can we be expected to be accountable for how we feel? Well, the scripture seems to indicate that we actually have ways to help direct our emotions, that, that to lament, for example, we don't simply look at our own heart and own experience and turn inward, but we deeply identify with our neighbor. We deeply identify with the pain of our world. We do look at our personal, but also our collective sin, how it gets systematized, how it gets institutionalized, how it ripples out, how it can steamroll entire groups of people. And to lament is to turn outward and become aware of those things. And there's ways that our emotions can be directed to move towards joy and delight, right? The other direction, we look within and around us and we see all the gifts that we have received from God. And actually the practice of gratitude can be a road sign for your emotions. It can begin to point them uh, in a different direction than they might just naturally be going in the course of a given day or the course of your life. It's such a simple but powerful tool for pulling us out of self-pity and despair. So I, I encourage you in the most practical way, just maybe take the next seven days, take one week and, and try in that one week to stop at some point in your day and write down 10 things that you're really grateful for. Begin naming all the good that God has put in your life and see how, how it works as a road sign uh, for, your, for your emotions. I love actually how Pete Grigg um, in his wonderfully helpful book on, on prayer, it's called How to Pray. It's a really simple guide. Uh, I encourage you to, to check it out as we're continuing in this language of prayer series. But um, he talks about this, this dynamic. And he said, this is an act of the will. Instead of waiting until I feel like it, which could be a very long wait indeed, I began to thank God for all the evidence of his love in my life. 
often speaking out loud, until my feelings fall into line with the facts. Sometimes this can seem a bit fake at first, but that's okay. And occasionally, I continue to feel tired, sad, or lethargic, and that's okay too. So I say it's a road sign, like giving a gratitude list for seven days is not always going to jerk the wheel of your, of your emotions into, into immediate joy, but it is a way, it is a proven way to begin cultivating the light in God. Um, and I think what's also in there that Pete, that Pete mentions is sort of the connection between gratitude and worship, which is the next thing I want us to consider for a minute as we're thinking about delighting in the Lord. Worship is such a powerful force because it is a celebration of what we find to be true about God. Now, God's gifts, which we can be grateful for, they're gonna, God's gifts are going to show up in our gratitude list. But, and that's pointing us in the right direction. But ultimately, it is God himself that is the most worth celebrating, right? We're not just, you know, like we don't just love God for his money, like what he gives us, what he blesses us, the comforts he gives. Those things we can be grateful for. But ultimately, like the journey of worship is to move into the place where we're celebrating the reality, the character, the nearness, the, the, the love, the truth, the justice of God for who God is. So, Worship has been tremendously important in my life, cultivating delight in God. And, and, and you might say, well, I really would have expected you to say that as a pastor. But um, I, I also want to make really clear, uh, of course, there are so many more ways to worship um, than are possible when we're just gathered together, um, you know, in, in a church service or, 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 or scattered, you know, together uh, as a church across the city and the country. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 has one of the most helpful sort of you know, paradigms for what worship is. And this will be familiar to many of you, but let's just sort of wash over you again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's so much in there that we don't have time to unpack all the layers, but, but we, we do begin to see that worship is getting to a place of ongoing surrender to God. Um, so, of course, that's more than singing. But I will say in my life, I, I do find worship music is, is helpful in, in this. It's helpful to move me in, in the right direction. And, and a part of my presence formation love uh, summer plan that I made for myself was that when I go on runs this summer, I'm, I'm listening to worship music. I, I, I love to, to run to music and I run to all, all types, but I just committed for the summer just to use that as a time. I knew I was going to spend a lot of time with the family in the house, a lot of time with the family in the car. A lot of times surrounded, and so I was like, when I get to get out and be on my own, I, I want to direct my heart to God, and um, I, I don't always find, you know, like, you know, you hit a particularly slow song, and you're going up a hill, it's maybe not the most motivational, but I have found um, that almost every time I have been able to get to a place of praise somewhere along the way, no matter what emotion I started with, and for me, some of that's like you move a muscle, you change a thought. But it is meditating on the character of God and singing out the praises of God. Uh, it, be, it begins to stir me. And, and sometimes it takes a little while. But I end up finding s- usually some point where I'm running with my hands open or I'm running and just thanking God in my heart and praising God in my heart. 
And I, and I find that, that when I open the, the posture of my heart towards God in, in that way, delight often follows. And uh, it begins to shape and affect you know, my, my, the, the rest of my life. And I, I think about moments this summer of uh, watching Hamilton with my kids on, on the couch and trying not to let them see how much I was, I was crying because I was so moved by uh, different aspects of the story and uh, little gifts that God gives. Like my favorite band came out with a record um, when we were away. We happened to be on the coast. In, in South Carolina, and uh, it had been stressful. Like we, we were, we were thinking we were going to get out of uh, you know the pan, the pandemic uh, as it was you know being lived here in New York, and get down to a, a more relaxed space near 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 the family. And it ended up just being really stressful because the cases were going up there. But I had this this sort of moment of peace where my favorite band came out with a record, and I got to sit on the top of this house and look up and see more stars than I can ever remember seeing in my life. And this music's playing in my head, and just being so so grateful to God. And uh, another example is, is this week, uh, Psalm 105, which is such a powerful psalm in my, my life personally. It's, it's one of the ones God used to direct Allison and I to New York City 15 years ago. It's been used in, in shaping some of the foundational direction for our church. And it's just like an old friend. And it was in the lectionary this week and just opening it up and, and seeing. So there's so many ways that our heart might be stirred uh, in the direction of, of gratitude and, and, and worship. But I, I just want to say there is such joy in, in that place of surrender, that place of, of living sacrifice, that, that letting go. And worship helps me in that. I find that it directs my delight. The last one that I'm going to mention today is, is service. And I hope you begin to see, right, these are all um, they're all related, you know, like a, a, um, a, a life that's only rest is incomplete, right? It would be laziness or it would be a waste. Um, worship without gratitude, I think, will, will, will drift towards sentimentality, will become shallow. Uh, but a life of worship um, that doesn't have any active service of our neighbors also ends up being hollow and shallow. And God has a lot to say about that. He's like, don't just bring me songs, bring me love. If you're gonna raise your hands in praise, lower them to serve your neighbor, lower them to to to, to show love. And in my personal experience, uh, and, and this is something I need to, to, to remember, I'm saying this to, to myself as, as much to you, the most free that I've ever felt in my life have been in times where I have been immersed in service. And you get that sort of bliss of self-forgetfulness, as, as, as Tim Keller, I think, was the first person I heard to say it that way. But I remember this sort of registering for me when I was uh, doing college ministry, and we took a team uh, to southern India after the tsunami had hit, and we were, we were working with uh, these uh, folks who had had their, their lives ripped apart by, by this storm. And um, we, we, we were, uh, you know, in and out of these orphanages every, every day. And um, there was a lot of discomfort, quite, quite honestly, in the, in the logistics of the trip. But so much of that discomfort faded away from me in this exchange of love. And it was like one of the first times that it just it registered to me as, as, as this, this crucial paradigm of being free in the place of laying down your life for someone else and serving. Uh, a, a quick example from, from the pandemic in my life was, Man, those early days, I, I, I would, you know, like Mondays were, were hard. And, you know, I, I would have times of like, I, I found Saturdays, uh, which would normally be days of rest and joy and time with the family because there wasn't much structure to them. I found myself like wallowing around and, and getting like frustrated and feeling meaningless and experiencing despair. And like, what are we doing? Where, how do you pastor a church like this? And how do you live? And what's going on? And my friends lost their job and this person's having to move. And, 
I would just find myself overwhelmed. Many of you will, will have, have had moments like this over, over, over the, past, the past months. And um, Roots Cafe uh, you know, was, was, is, has been doing this uh, beautiful kingdom work of, of feeding our neighbors. And, and I got to be one small little part of that on Mondays. I got to drive uh, a, a route and deliver food for Roots Cafe to people who were, who were in need. And um, it was such a, a, a leveling, uh, such a, um, a grounding, such a beautiful, uh, almost like a helped keep me sane as I, would, I was feeling despair. And just like the practical reality of taking this food, putting it in the car, driving it to this part of Brooklyn, handing it off, this really brief exchange with masks and all uh, with someone that I didn't know, but it, it just this exchange of love um, began to let a lot of that discomfort and despair sort of fall away. There's such power in the act of service, such power in the act of showing love, trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And there were so many other people doing so much more, people who were planning and organizing the roots and making it so easy. The people who are donating the food and packing the bags and it's just this ecosystem of love going on. But it helped me to delight in God. It helped me to remember uh, the purpose of life being love and connection and, and, and expressing the kingdom of God. And, and the ancient catechism, right? Uh, what's life all about? What's the chief end of, of human life? It's to, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So enjoyment is, is crucial. It is a part. You were made to delight in God. And that means if you're delighting in God, that's going to form your desires, that's going to shape your desires. At some points, that's going to change your desires. So when it says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart, that first part is so crucial because it begins to shape what we're most longing for in the world. And we do have commands on our emotions. Um, but, but that means that, that, that our moods are not the Lord of our lives, that actually Jesus is the Lord of our life. And we, we have ways that we can begin to redirect if we find ourselves in despair or, 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 or wanting to give up or in confusion or, 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 or broken down. We are acquainted with sorrow, but we are also anointed with joy. Anointed with joy. This is how we pray. We pray until our hearts are moved. Stir your delight in God this week. Make those gratitude lists. Take time for Sabbath rest. Let yourself be moved to worship. As you raise your hands, remember that we're also going to lower them. Find quiet uh, or, or, or uh, honest or, or, or kind ways to serve your neighbor, to show the hands and feet of Jesus, to show the love of Christ. Church, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would stir our affections, that you would move in our hearts, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. Teach us to delight in you, God. Teach us to rest and to give thanks and to worship and to serve, to stir our hearts out of, out of the small cages of selfishness that they so easily get locked in, the, the, the cages of fear, um, so many of the things that can press in on us, God. Help us to abide in you so we can bear the fruit of your kingdom. And may you, may you just um, cultivate the affections of our heart. Teach us to pray. Continue to teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.